Hi there, welcome to the Animals Naturally podcast. In this podcast, I aim to help you get ideas on how to care for your animals naturally. Whether that's your horse, dog, cat, other pet or other animal, there's a whole world of complementary therapies and holistic approaches that you can use to make your animal's life happier and healthier naturally. I'm Suzanne and I'm founder of Taranet, a leading international natural animal healthcare resource at taranet.co.uk. In this edition of the podcast, I'm interviewing a lady called Robin Harries. She's not actually a relation of mine. And Robin has a website and a business called Equa Energy, which you'll talk more about. And in this episode, you'll find out more about her work with horses. It's a really fascinating interview, which I hope you find useful. Okay. So thank you, Robin, for um, agreeing to speak to me today. It's really great to meet you. We've um, known each other virtually for a while, haven't we? But um, it's great to meet you finally in person. Yes, and to put a face to the name, because obviously seeing your name in emails and posts on social media and things, and not knowing what you look like and suddenly today to meet you is really good. Thank you. So it'd be great to um, talk today a bit more about your work with horses and your um, business, Equi Energy. Um, so obviously you do look quite a lot of different work um, with people as well as animals, don't you? I so, do. Um, yeah, it'd be great to hear a bit more about your interest in horses, I suppose, really. So um, can you talk a bit about that? I have always had a fascination with animals and I grew up with a dog. Uh, She was like Nana in Peter Pan. She was my companion. And then after she died, I was just looking for people's dogs to walk. So, yeah, I've always loved animals, always had animals in my life. And my mum used to ride. She had a pony when she was very young. And we used to travel to see her parents quite a lot back in the town where my mum grew up. So she still had lots of contacts and people who had horses. So anytime we would go down there, it would be blagging a ride, blagging some pony time. And then she uh, had she organized riding lessons for me when I kind of was a bit bigger. I needed a little bit bigger horses and obviously something then in the town where we lived. And I did that for lots of years and just loved that time. There's something very special and about the connection with a horse and their energy and just spending time with them. And it, I was quite a, an introverted child and didn't have all that many friends. So the animals became my friends. They became my confidants. They were the ones that I would turn to if I was feeling sad, if I was feeling lonely, or if I was feeling happy. They were the ones that I wanted to share that with. So, yeah, horses then just were always a part of that experience. And anytime when mum and I went on holiday or I went and I moved to England and then later to Wales it was always just where can I find horses where can I find horses Uh, and then I came across an opportunity to learn about energy healing did that for people first of all but really my aim was to do it with animals and initially uh, I trained with Elizabeth Whiter of the Healing Animals Organization and she was very much you have to get a grounding so you do the small animals first when you've completed that when you've graduated from that diploma you can go on if I deem you fit to do so you can go on and do an equine specialism so I did the equine and then I went on to do equine massage and I did a little bit of equine acupressure as well because I'm fascinated by all of that Mm. Mm. and I have a friend uh, who does zoopharmacognosy so self-selection 
So uh, she does that with horses. So I went on a couple of those days as well because I love any plant-based. I think nature and animals offer us so much. They offer us a lot of wisdom and a lot of stuff that we can use, either whether it be plants themselves or, or knowledge, on supporting our well-being and how to work with ourselves, with nature, with our own nature to support that. Sorry, yeah, another long-winded answer. <laughs> a very good answer it's wide ranging and you know, I completely um, get what you mean about the horses and the, what they offer us so if you spending time with them and just watching them um not doing anything with them just watching them it's really um, rewarding isn't it because they do all sorts of things that people probably who just don't understand or don't work don't do anything with animals don't appreciate do they sometimes they overlook the little subtleties has a body language minor things they can do um like the plants they eat as well is it little things actually might seem nothing to us but actually for them it's really powerful makes their well-being so much improved doesn't it as well and, and it makes us feel better as well doesn't it i think spending time um, it does there's yeah. so there's so much just within what you've just said but a lot of what I've learned about well-being for people, I've learned through working with horses. It's amazing how much, like you were saying, what they eat, what they choose and when and why and at what time and how they work, obviously, with seasons. So they eat different things at different times of the year because there are different things available and they give different benefits, which support their well-being at that time of the year. How nature and the animals work together in that and how we can learn to do that for ourselves as well and just the energy of a horse they've learned about how our hearts actually have a greater electromagnetic field than our brains and if you think of all the electro activity that's going on in the brain that's pretty amazing but a horse's is something like 10 times bigger and there's a thing called entrainment which the heart math institute in america has done a lot of studies on so if you are in the energy field of another you will come into sync with each other. So if I become calm, I can support another person to become calm or an animal. And horses vary just out of their nature because they are herd animals, they are prey animals. What they do is stick together and be as calm as possible for all the time that they can. Obviously then they're ready to flight, get into flight if they need to, but they have to conserve energy for that. So to conserve energy, they are stay calm. Mm, mm. And they have that herd collectiveness. And if we get into that energy, we feel it too. We get entrained by their calmness, which is so good for our well-being because when we can get into that, so it's out of the fight or flight, out of the sympathetic nervous system, into the parasympathetic, rest and repair. Mm. So our bodies can do all of that. They can digest properly. They can just do the general maintenance and they can start to recover from injury illness operations whatever it might be and it does so much good for our emotional cognitive well-being on top of all of that mm. yeah it's interesting I've picked up on something you said then I think um for um people are often rushing aren't they even people who have got dogs horses or whatever and, and they're often rushing when they're trying to do things with them because their lives are so busy but like you just said then horses they do have spats for want of a better phrase don't they they do um argue sometimes they do not get on they do do things but then it passes that they don't stay in that heightened state do they all the time they go back to being calm don't they fairly quickly quite often um, and animals generally do you'll see that they'll have a burst of energy and even like if you take a dog for a walk it'll have a burst of energy and it'll come home and it'll sleep 
Mm. And they know that that is that that their body has cycles and rhythms, and that's good. But we've lost that, and we're only supposed to be in top fight or flight for ten to fifteen minutes at a time. But we're actually living lives that we're in that state chronically now, and it, that's why it does harm to our bodies. It, it creates a toxic inner environment. Mm. And it's funny you're talking about horses having these bursts of energy because we've had quite stormy weather here just recently. And I was up in the field yesterday evening and they were doing pirouettes. It was really quite magical watching them. And initially they were running around and I put out some fresh dry hay for them. And they, it was too much excitement, too much excitement. But as soon as they kind of, oh, we've done that now. Oh, look, there's dinner. Oh, just go and eat and we'll be nice and quiet. And then it was fine and I could go and do my poo picking without having all this, this craziness going on around me. So when we can learn, oh, yeah, we can have these bursts of whatever, but let it go because it, emotions are energy in motion. So if we feel something, feel it and then it can pass rather than we try to push it down and it's not happening and I'm fine. And then it just festers away inside when we can go no this is how I feel and I'm going to express it and animals too they shake and that releases it but we have these like cultural norms so we say no we don't do that anymore but when we can listen to the animals and follow the animals observe and and see how to be or kids very young kids they still know how to walk properly with good posture how to breathe properly break down low into their bellies Somewhere along the line, as adults, we often lost that, disconnected from that, mm. and disconnected from how to ground ourselves, how to centre ourselves. Mm. But animals teach us all of that. And I wrote a blog about all that horses have taught me about how to look after ourselves. Mm. I think that's what animals do. They don't just teach us about, oh, what's life like as a dog, as a horse? But they teach us so much about ourselves. Mm-hmm. So you mentioned there you've got horses. So how many horses do you have? And Two. Um, two. Yeah. So do you um obviously probably spend a great deal of time just watching and observing them and um connecting with them and must be really rewarding to have your own horses to be able to do that. It it's been I've only had I have the geldings for three and a half years and the mare's been with us since we moved here, so that's three years. So I haven't had them all that long and it's been quite a learning curve actually owning and being responsible for and caring for and for me I, I'd learned so much compared to when I first started with horses and they were kept in quite a traditional way because I was going to a riding school or whatever and then learning all about how the hoof works how the digestive system works the optimal that horses aren't grazers they're foragers all of these different things and reading up about um uh, founder so uh, laminitis and how that comes about and uh, the track systems and different ways of supporting horses and why and their evolution so all of that then getting a chance to put that into practice uh, it's been yeah it's been a, a huge learning curve but yes as you say so rewarding and although I don't ride I just spend time with and work with horses because I like to be able to see their face which you can't do when you're sitting on their back unfortunately Mm. and just to see their responses and we kind of touched before on the body language and the facial expressions and all that you can learn from that and the communication that you can start to 
develop a connection with them. So that's that's what I get from being around horses, really. So you talked um, already about your um, interest in natural therapies. Um, so can you talk a bit more about the qualifications you have? So the um, what what you do when you're offering your services to other people's horses? In terms of working with horses, I do energy healing and I do uh, equine massage. But I also look at the general kind of animal husbandry. What is a horse designed for? So I talked there about how their hooves are designed to work and their uh, evolution, which impacts on how they move and what they eat and how they digest it and what they need and all of those sorts of things. So I look at it in a very holistic kind of way. What situation is the horse living in? Is there anything in that that we can tweak? Is there anything in that that maybe isn't as close to what a horse needs as would best benefit them? And what can we then maybe make little adaptations? Because it doesn't have to be big things, just little adaptations that might make the horse feel a little bit safer and a little bit calmer and a little bit more settled and happy. Because once they are, then their health improves, same as with us. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. That doesn't need to be big things, does it? So, no. is there any particularly common issues you find that, and um, when you're asked to um, work with people's horses, what common any common issues or common themes you sort of tend to find? The back is often an issue, and if you find this is uh, anatomy fascinates me, the idea that if you have a problem at one end, you probably have a problem at the other end as well because we don't only have muscle pairs, so the extension and the bending in, we have muscle chains. And fascia, fascia is fascinating, how it connects right from the head down through to the tail and down to the feet. And if if there's a problem in one area, it'll be reflected because if there's tightness at the top, it pulls on the, the tail end as well. So just looking at the back, looking at the legs, all of these things that can help us to understand what's going on and how can we start to make those little subtle, sometimes it is very subtle changes to support the animal's well-being. Hmm. So in terms of fascia, I mean, obviously I, I know what that is, but for people who might not know, can you explain a bit more what that is? Connective tissue. Yeah. And things like if a horse doesn't have enough to drink, or if we don't have enough to drink, the fascia will shrink slightly because it's a bit dehydrated and it might not be enough to notice in that you look at the person or the horse but it can still be enough to affect what's going on under the skin and as soon as that affects as soon as that's affected the whole body is affected because we are all joined up within the skin and Mm. yeah it has a huge impact elsewhere Mm. and just what you said about hydration then because i'm really an advocate for people drinking more animals have yeah. because it's like something people's overlooked don't they an animal for animals too there's overlooked about the clean water and they think people the animals don't want water but sometimes they i find they're quite fussy and it has to be quite yes. clean water or out of a certain type of bucket sometimes as well and people don't really sometimes tune in they just think the animal's okay doesn't want something but actually it's because of the presentation of it isn't right isn't it as well that can make a big difference i find and if a horse is in a stable, that's awkward because you have to keep going back and check that the water is there and that it's clean. Because I've known a few horses who poo in their water. and Or I've heard of things like a rat being found in their water bucket because if, if the stables is out in a rural location, that could easily happen. Mm. So it's making sure that they always, as you say, have access to plenty of clean, fresh water. And if you're giving a remedy, so 
people now are becoming more aware of things like the batch flower remedies and being able to put things in the horse's water, they also have to have clean water so that they have choice mm. because they will know, the horse will know from self-selection that I mentioned earlier, is this something my body needs or is it not? Mm. And how much does it need, does my body need? And if it gets to the point of, right, that's it, I'm done, I don't need any more, it then needs another form, another supply of water that doesn't have that in it because it may choose not to drink that because it doesn't need the supplement, but it still needs the water. Mm. Yeah, absolutely. And it, as you say, it makes a being hydrated, it makes such a huge difference to the overall well-being, doesn't it? It doesn't sound very much, yeah, does it, then. actually? It's a massive difference. It's clear mind, clear body, everything. Um, so you talk about self-selection. You want to talk a bit more about that um, and uh, what, what sort of you found in your work with horses and, and with that? It's not something that I use, but it's something that I am fascinated by as well and that I've worked with other people who use it. Uh, so I have a little bit of knowledge, but basically... Uh, it's zoo pharmacognosies, so zoo animals, pharma, the content of what it is, the herb or whatever that they're looking at, the pharmacology of it, and nosy from the Greek of to know. So the animal, the body knows what it needs in terms of the remedy. And whether that's by scent or horses' whiskers, really, really important because they can detect through their whiskers is this a plant that I need or is it not? Is it a plant that is safe for me to eat or is it not? So uh, it's not only for finding out where they are and what's around them like a cat's whiskers would be, but they can sense a lot of things through their whiskers, through their nose, through their taste. And if it, when uh, we're, our body is needing something, if we taste it, it tastes good and we want more of it until it can get to a point where then, oh, no, it doesn't taste so good anymore. I don't want any more of that. And humans do it too. We have cravings. We might have cravings for chocolate, cravings for cheese, for salty food, for, for sour food. And it may be that I need something within that. I may not need the chocolate, though sometimes we do. Chocolate is good. Um, but it's what is within that and what is our body needing. So pregnant women having cravings there's something within that food they need. The same with animals. If they're eating a lot of something, it's probably because they need it. Mm -hmm. There is an exception because with sugar and processed foods for us, they're addictive because sugar has the same impact on our brain as cocaine does. So it's working with somebody who really knows what they're doing to help to, and it gives an animal a voice is the great thing. That's what I love about about. Uh, self-selection when the animal is given an array of things to choose from you can look at what they've chosen and kind of get a sense this is often chosen by an animal who so maybe by an animal who's in pain or by an animal who's anxious and as you begin to see the different things they've chosen you get more and more of like a from a 2d picture to a 3d picture more rounded understanding of that's what my animal is struggling with right now mm. because that's what their body is asking for. Okay, I can start providing that for them to bring them back to the point of well-being. Mm. Interesting what you said um, a few moments ago there about whiskers as well because it's been quite a lot of people like their animals to be immaculately turned out. And, of course, I do like to see animals being groomed. Not, not so I don't. But, obviously, whiskers is – people used to trim their whiskers quite a lot, didn't they, for horses, particularly – animals who come some sort of competitions as well 
Um, and but actually, yeah, they're they're vital, aren't they, for the um for their well being um, and their overall health. So they're vital for knowing what they're eating because they can't see when they put their head down into the bucket or whatever. Their nose is out of their field of vision. So knowing what's there beneath their nose, their muzzle, what are they? got to eat what is it good or is it bad or is it something they want is it something they don't but also just knowing their environment and being able to just get a sense and a feel of what's around them there's the two aspects and it it you know if you think if you've cut that it's a very sensitive area so what does it even feel like to be cut and wind blowing against it you think if we scratch our skin or something it can be quite sensitive so how must that feel for an animal I don't know whether they've lost that sense and it feels, I'm disconnected, it feels odd, or actually this is oversensitive because you've exposed something. Mm -hmm. So either way, I think the animal really needs, they're, they're there for a reason. Mm, 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 mm. yeah absolutely it's um yeah can be for some people it's quite a controversial topic isn't it but um I, <laughs> but I think we're we're strange as humans we think we can improve on nature when i think often well nature has taken millennia to get to this point she knows what she's doing because if it didn't work she would have eliminated it mm. it's, it's just kind of basic biology <laughs> so why do we try to think we can do it better Mm, 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 mm. yeah absolutely absolutely yes um so are there any particularly frequently asked questions you get asked in your work with horses and you talked about some of the common issues about being back for instance but are there any things people are particularly interested in or 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 even when you're speaking to somebody or working with their horse that they have quite like a light bulb moment i suppose um i think the light bulb moments would be around how their hooves work how they're designed to work and around digestion that because we think of horses as being grazers when they're actually foragers and that a lot of the grass the pasture land that is available for horses if they're on livery or whatever is really too rich for them it's a lot of rye grass or that grass that grows quickly because it's good then we've got grass but and I think there's more of an understanding now about laminitis and about the sugars in the grasses. And you can get a laminitis warning app that tells you, oh, today is a day when the sugar levels are going to be high. But I think a lot of people, and it may also be a lot of people who don't have horses, and they look at a horse, say, on a what looks like a bare patch of land. There's plenty of hay put out for the horse, but they think that that horse doesn't have enough to eat because there's no grass. But actually, horses don't need rich grass, and it causes a lot of problems for their digestion, for their feet. So I think that there's a lot of kind of educational stuff around these animals that have been in our lives for centuries, but we have started to create ways in which we keep them that are quite different from how they would live in the wild. And it's just starting to understand that so that we can support their well-being, even though they are now under our care. Mm, mm, mm. yeah absolutely absolutely so um i think so key thing you said there about um just how the animal how the horses are foragers rather than grazers and i think it's difficult isn't it because a lot of people want to have horses and have horses and, and they've not necessarily got the opportunity to have um particularly if you're going to a livery yard you've not necessarily got the opportunity some are excellent livery yards but so you don't necessarily have the opportunity do you to um or a choice in your locality to 
have somewhere that's got, got the best um, type of grazing options for the horse. And it's, it can be quite difficult, can't it, for people to then have somewhere to place a horse that they really feel is giving the horse everything they need. Um, is there any, do you ever suggest any kind of, um, if people are really restricted in terms of what they can do, where they can keep their horse, is there anything you, you advise to try and minimise the stress that their horse might be feeling? And there are lots of little things that you can do and it depends on where you are and how restricted it is. But things like, first of all, looking to what's available and asking what kind of grass have they got, looking at the hay that you buy, because the same is true for the hay. You don't want hay that's been made from high um, percentage ryegrass, for example. But you can do things like if you see weeds, they're often good. Dandelions, pick them and take them to your horse. If your horse doesn't have access to them um, in the livery or wherever they are living, then bring them along. And it's a great way of just, you know, toss them around the floor of the stable and then the horse is foraging for them in as much as that's possible. And so, yeah, just simple, simple things that you can uh, bring along, dandelions, chopped fruit, some vegetables, obviously looking into what vegetables are suitable because some of them aren't. But think, and you can even make strings of vegetables that you can hang up for the horse to chew at or bring along something for them to play with, obviously making sure that they're safe, that they're not going to choke on something or cut themselves on something. But it's just thinking, thinking maybe outside of the box mm, and mm. what you can add that bring interest for the horse, that add new and different things to their diet. And taking a horse for a walk, if there's anywhere that you can take them out and about. So they're not just restricted to the fields. So whether you're riding them, walking them, there's quite a movement at the moment for just going walking with your horse. It's really good for our fitness too. It's funny you say that. So I was um, out the other day um, near um, a, a beach and there was somebody or two people walking a horse. And they oh, There was no saddle. It just looked like they were taking the horse for a walk. And yeah, you, you do see you do see that more and more. Um, yeah, There's at least one Facebook group about doing that. Yeah, yeah. So um, as you say, just spending the time, it's that connection, isn't it? Being in their presence and building the bond up, isn't it? Um, yes. Just getting to know your horse as well. And then getting to know you as well, isn't it? Giving them time to understand you, isn't it, as well? And, um, try and obviously mutual beneficial relationship then, isn't it, as you... As you said earlier, really. So. And then you get to build a trust as well, because the horse will get to see, oh, you make good decisions. I can trust you. Because if they don't, they're going to make their own decisions. And that might not always be in our favour. <laughs> so, <laughs> so really good to have that bond of trust where you know how they respond to things and you know how they are in different situations. So you can work with that. And also that the horse knows you, trusts you, knows that you will take care of it and then it can follow your lead. Hmm. Um, I was thinking about the range of horses you've worked with, um, or what you've what you've observed, really. Do you think there's any difference between older horses and younger horses and their receptiveness for um, your, the kind of work you do? Not purely from their age. I think it will depend on their previous experience. So they say you can't teach an old dog new tricks. It's not true at all. Um, but I think if they've had a hard life, if they've had a lot of challenges, if they have learned to not trust people, doesn't matter what age they are, that's going to be a challenge to overcome that for the horse. 
may take time. You may never quite get to where they would have been had they not had the challenges. But on the other hand, it's very, very rewarding when you see that they are making shifts and changes and releasing and, and becoming more trusting and developing that bond with them. So I, I don't think it depends on age. I think it depends on the, the horse, their characteristics, their personality, their experiences. I think it's all of that in a mix. I think that's the way it is for us, for animals, for everything. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. I think you made a good point about um, people think you can't teach an old dog new tricks or old horse new things, but you can absolutely, can't you? But people people can write off animals, can't they, sometimes when they're a certain age? And I think age is just a number. (laughs) It is just a number. And I actually wrote about that because I used to uh, work on a yard and there were two horses that belonged to the same woman and they were stabled right next to each other and I think was there something like 10 years difference between the two of them but if you let them out you'd never have known that one of them I think was 20 or maybe even a bit more and the other one was a teenager and they were just running around like loons it was like two boys young kids going out and just having a rough and tumble so absolutely age is a number but if they've had a hard start in life then it can have an impact on their body and how resilient they are and how um, quickly they kind of age. Yeah, yeah. And obviously more time is required than I, I assume to help um, overcome those um, the things they've got in their minds from how they've been treated and the, the behaviour they've had to learn to cope with that. And for some, like the gelding that I have, he was taken from his mum at one month of age and left to starve. So because he was so young, there are lots of things that he may never learn. And he was hand-reared as well. So that brought its own challenges. He has no idea of boundaries. And he has no idea that he's the size he is. Well, why, why would he, I suppose, isn't it? Why would he? <laughs> yeah. So it's like a dog. If you have a puppy and it starts out when it's really small and you keep it on your lap and you have lots of play with it. By the time it's the size of a Great Dane or something, it still thinks it's a lap dog and still tries to sit on you. <laughs> and that's fine if you're happy with that, but it can be quite big. <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't want a horse sitting on my lap. <laughs> no, but, but some people, yeah. when they get yeah, a foal yeah. and they're hand rearing it, that's, that's, it feels so nice for us. And there's a yeah. lot of oxytocin yeah. going on there. Yeah. But it's remembering that they need to be a horse at the same time. They need to know their size. They need to know your vulnerability so that it's safe because it's all about being safe as well yeah yeah definitely absolutely um so I I know you do lots of different work don't you to try and promote your services and your work with um, people and animals so you've got a really um, helpful website and you've developed I see some um, videos and some trailers about your work with horses as well um do you want to talk a bit about those Because of what I learned around how the hoof works, the hoof is so basic to everything and often misunderstood. Um, So I did some work with people who do trimming and they were the ones who taught me all about that, which went on then to learn about the evolution and the digestion and the nutrition and all of those things. And taking as well what I've learned through my work with the Healing Animals Organization and Elizabeth Whiter, I thought, This was all new to me. I've known horses all my life kind of thing. I never knew any of this. I have done other stuff when I was a kid, when I was at the riding school, they taught us about 
bits and bridles and saddles and riding. But I never knew any of this stuff. And it's basic. So if I don't know it, I'm sure there are a lot of other people out there who don't know it. So I thought I'll put it together into a format that people can then either you can come and study it with me here or you can do it online because I'm in Wales and that's not easily accessible to everybody. Yeah, that's really good. It's a really good idea. As you say, it's um, got from the way, isn't it? People don't necessarily realise the basic things. I think sometimes people have an assumption that people know things, don't they, as well? And don't che- even check in that people might not know what. And people don't often don't want to speak up and say they don't know about something, do they? So, um, yeah, having an opportunity to, um, yeah, to tap into your knowledge and your the information you can provide is. Um, and if you're like me and you've just known horses as something that you ride and you learn how to ride and you learn how to interact on a, that kind of a level, to then start thinking, oh, I'll, I'll get a horse of my own. It's a, it's quite a shock to what that is and looking after them and being responsible for feeding them and making sure that they have as much uh, of what they need in their life as you possibly can manage. So I thought for people like that, because I've known lots of people who just, oh, I think I'll get a horse. And then, oh, gosh, (laughs) how do I look after this big animal? Yeah, absolutely. Particularly, um, yeah, as you say, if you're on a, a livery yard, there's some level of support, even if you're DIY, you'll have some level of support, wouldn't you? But if you've got your horse at your own home or you've got a field um, next to your house or whatever, um, or near your house, then, um, yeah, it's a whole other learning curve, isn't it? Quite daunting. Well, yeah, and also for people who are on a livery yard, because they may have some uh, an understanding of a horse in a different level to other people on the yard, because there's some people who are quite traditional, And then there are others who maybe have a different way of looking at things and they're wanting to look after their horse in one way, but they're maybe coming up against traditional views and to be able to say, no, your way's fine. You know, your way is good. Uh, Maybe you want to have some more uh, ways that you can explain that. So language that you can use and also to be comfortable with meeting with professionals such as the trimmer, the farrier, the vet to know what, to say and to know how to tell them something because sometimes our own language is a bit we, we don't feel it's appropriate in front of a professional so things that we might talk about digestion or whatever it's it's not the medical terms or the parts of the body they're not the medical terms and then the vet might give us all this medical stuff and we're a bit bamboozled so it was to help people with that as well to start to get a, a sense of your horse's body and what goes on within that so that you're comfortable and confident to speak to them and to take on board what they say as well. Yeah, absolutely. I was um, I was going to mention, talk about the vets because I think um, it's a presumption, isn't there, that a lot of vets aren't interested in natural um, therapies or holistic approaches. And I've, I mean, I think it does obviously depend on what vets you go to, what vet you have. But I mean, in my experience, is a lot of vets are really interested because they do see the whole, the whole the animal as a whole. A lot of them do, and I think if people if vets are really close to that and you're struggling as an owner with that then actually you need to find say, another vet because you shouldn't just take what you're being told or you're, what you're hearing as being sort of the gospel kind of thing and not to say you shouldn't not to about not being dismissive and some people might be pressured into thinking that they're wrong by trying to challenge or dismiss what that vet's saying but it's just if it's not right for your horse and you need to be confident in that don't you and actually there are other vets there are a lot of vets are open to different therapies aren't they different ways of working that's another point that it is your horse you are the one who knows your animal you know a certain amount if not all of their history 
you know what they're like in certain situations and you can then stand up for your horse and speak for your horse because a vet might you know they might never have met the horse before they don't know what are they normally like so what do they be how do they behave what do they like to eat what are they like in situations are they an anxious nervous horse or are they a strong confident horse they're not going to know unless you're there to tell them so you don't have to accept what the vet says you can say well actually for my horse it's xyz so there's that kind of confidence as well absolutely and yes feel free to get a second opinion or to look for another vet. But yes, most equine vets, I think, and I find, have their own horses. So they are, I think, quite an open group of people. They understand that horses are complex beings and that they have many different characteristics and likes and preferences and all of this stuff. So I think... Now as well with the younger vets coming up, they're more aware of all of the complementary ways of looking at things as well. Yeah, I think um, I mean I think I've I do get quite um, I don't know passionate about the idea that people think if something's not evidence based, then it doesn't work. But I think actually, what is evidence? Isn't it? Is evidence being having a research paper done? And often some of these research articles on research studies aren't necessarily independent, as people might think. Often they're sponsored some way by some company with an agenda, aren't they, as well? So as you, say, as you said before, really, um, nature has been around for millennia, isn't it? And actually, if stuff doesn't work, then it, it just doesn't continue, does it? And actually, a lot of complementary therapies have been used for years, like self-selection, like you say. I mean, horses and um, people have been working with horses. I mean, it's only in the last... Well, with less than a hundred years, isn't it, that we had all these um feed different feed companies and different feeds you could buy animals. I mean, there just wasn't there, was it? People animals had a much were more in tune with nature and their own as well as well, weren't they? So now this push for things got to be evidence based. It's actually not always in the obviously mm. you don't want to be doing things that are wrong. I don't think anyone will ever want that, but it's actually a lot of things aren't wrong just because they're not evidenced in the research paper, are they? And that's another point, because things like homeopathy, there is evidence if you choose to accept it as evidence. And it's the what is chosen to be that is acceptable evidence and what is not like you're saying, whether it's sponsored or it's just no, we don't accept that because homeopathy is alternative. It doesn't have to be. It can be complementary. So I'm quite I can get quite um passionate about that use of word (laughs) but you mentioned also horse feeds that's another thing to really look at read the menu read the list of ingredients sorry and see are the things in there that you don't know what they are because a horse and I went to a conference years ago and there was a horse feed person as one of the exhibitors and they said our feed and I can't remember unfortunately which company it was but our feed is the only feed at that time anyway that's registered as I think vegan or vegetarian you think but a horse is so why what what else is going in there and it's like we've become so used to fast food and processed food for ourselves so well we just do the same for our animals don't we But if you read and if you have a laminitic, a horse that's prone to laminitis or a pony, 
you read the labels and you'll be surprised how much sugar and molasses and stuff you'll find in all of these processed feeds. So it's doing due diligence and research and trying to find the ones that are as natural as possible that don't contain pesticides because uh, if they're if they have a shelf life quite often they'll have anti-mold you know mold inhibitors and pesticides and stuff in them to prolong that shelf life but it's not good for the inside of a horse particularly over a long period of time and some mm. horses get away with it and some are much more sensitive so i know that they may be a little bit more expensive but then perhaps you'll have a healthier horse and fewer vet bills if yes, it's, it's, yeah, you know, it's that yeah. balance as well yeah, yeah. People would think, oh, we don't want to spend X amount of money, but actually, if you're stopping those um, extra farrier bills for trying to help sort of laminitis out or vets' bills and stuff, then it's all saving, spending money to save money in the long run, isn't it? And yeah, yeah, absolutely. And it's yeah. like for ourselves, if you don't have time for the little niggles now, you're going to have to make time for your illness later. And if you don't look after yourself and feed yourself well, you're not going to have as because we are what we eat you're not going to have as strong and as resilient a body and an immune system as you might otherwise have had. Yeah, 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 absolutely, absolutely. Well, it's been a fascinating discussion. Is it, um, before we wrap up, is there, do you want to tell people about your website um, address and the different opportunities people have to contact you? Absolutely. So my website address, I better spell it out for you, it's equenergy, E-Q-U-E-N-E-R-G-Y, Dot com and that's the fusion of equilibrium so balance and energy because when we can get our energies back into balance we experience well-being much more in a much more natural way so equenergy.com and on there there is a contact form so i think it's the second second tab across at the top contact and location and when you click on that there's a contact form there's my whatsapp uh, my email address and also there's my calendar so you can book a, a zoom call with me to just have a chat good stuff good stuff so i'll put and that in the I also, yeah i also have a links list so you can find me on social media and so on excellent so great opportunities for people to contact you to learn more so yeah, i'll put that in the um in the links to the notes page of the um um, episode as well but yeah it's great so it's been wonderful to meet you and um thank you very much great to chat with you too Suzanne at last it's lovely to meet you thank you bye an interesting episode of the animals naturally podcast I'll post in the notes Robin's website address and also my Taranet complimentary therapist website address and also recently Robin did a post for my natural pet health blog which I'm sure you'll also find interesting and I shall post that in the notes too Thank you for listening and until next time, goodbye.